Why don't we just stand right now, let's pray um, over this time, ask God to speak to us this morning. We're going to be in the, the book of the Song of Solomon this morning, so we better pray, right? <laughs> Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for your word to us. It's so good. We love you, to be in your presence, and Lord, we just invite you to speak directly to our spirit man this morning. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen. All right, you can be seated. Thank you. So you might ask the question, Pastor Sean, we're, we're, we're doing this series on relationships. What is your experience with love and love lost? Now, um, Deanna and I, this is pro tip, um, we, we still date um, as a married couple. We're um, several years now into being married, and we try to make it uh, as many weeks as we can to go out on a date night and to, to have, and so we, we have, so we have ba- built-in babysitters, so we're set. We have, we have five kids at home, and two of them are older, and so um, last night we're out, at, we're out on a double date, and, um, and we were sharing some stories, and as we were sharing some stories, Deanna was correcting me because my memory of, of all these stories that I share, she's, she says, you're just leaving out the best parts. And so I was actually correcting some of my notes this morning as I was, uh, as I was uh, preparing. And so, but that's a fair question. Um, you know, what, what, is, what is my experience? Really the extent of my love experience as a young man um, were pretty minimal. They, they, there was the neighbor, neighborhood girl, the neighbor, I should say, the neighbor girl in kindergarten. We were living in Falkton, South Dakota, grew up in Falkton, South Dakota, and uh, we would play in the backyard pretty much every day, so you know it was pretty serious. We, <laughs> we, we were every day, uh, but that got cut off abruptly when my family moved to Brookings at the end of the first grade year. Um, I lost my interest um, for kind of the, the elementary years, you know, most of my interest was Hot Wheels, cars, and G.I. Joes at that time. And then we moved to Huron, and during my junior high years and in, in in my freshman year of high school, there was a girl there, and we met, we met on the playground on occasion, and we may have shared the do you like me note. Um, and we might have held hands um, once or twice, but that was about the extent of that. Um, so then my family moved to Pier. It was during my sophomore year. And on one of my first days at the new school, I met Deanna. And I know it's crazy to say, but I was smitten from the start. And um, Deanna had introduced uh, herself to me in the foyer of the high school there. And, you know, we kept on bumping into each other. I was actually commuting from Gettysburg at the time. Um, We weren't, our our family was kind of in a a process of transition. So we were staying at grandma's house and driving down um, every day at that point. And uh, Deanna, as I've shared, uh, invited me to her before school kind of youth group thing. Um, Her youth pastor was a spirit-filled, speaking in tongues, uh, Catholic uh, youth pastor. And so we had uh, amazing times before before school um, at this church, amazing times of worship, and God did some amazing things there. Um, I I bumped into her later. We were at a line at at a restaurant um, with my family, and I excitedly told them, this is the girl... Uh, that invited me to, um, what, what dance was it? Homecoming. Homecoming dance. And it was so funny because Deanna immediately, very excitedly said, no, it was a group thing. It was a, you know, <laughs> it was a group thing. We were just going, you know, as a group, as a friend. <laughs> and, and so, you know, we, we, 
uh, developed our relationship somewhere in there. You know, we started going to the before school youth group thing. I started to go to that and our friendship grew from there. And early on, though, I was young and in love, head over heels, and I rather hurriedly asked her if she would consider marrying me before I was even done, I think, with my sophomore year. And, uh, uh, you know, or at least wear a promise ring or something like that because she was a senior and she was going to be heading off to college and I didn't want to lose her. And so, you know, thankfully she was smarter um, than me and su suggested that we slow down. In fact, she, she tried to break up with me several times uh, through the process of our relationship along the way because as she told me, she wanted me to experience life a little bit more, um, you know, meet more people, etc. So I never really fully complied. Um, I relentlessly pursued her. Um, one time, uh, though, th through one of the, the, the decade's biggest storms, I, I stole my parents' vehicle and tried to drive to Omaha, Nebraska, um, where she was in school. The police were involved. Um, it's a good story. Ask me about it uh, sometime if you haven't heard it. We, we had a long-distance relationship uh, for a couple of years, mostly communicating via the phone and with letters that I wrote daily. Um, and she wrote me back too, and I sent, I sent care packages to her, that sort of thing, and the occasional campus visits too, but she was seven hours away, and I was still in high school, so that didn't happen very often. When I went off to college in Dallas, Texas, she came down for a visit. She was on break from a job on the, on the East Coast, and long story short, um, she ended up deciding to move down to Dallas and go to massage therapy school and work as a 911 operator there, and I was thrilled. We were, you know, going into our fourth year together, and I was a full-time Bible college student at the time. It was great having her around, and, and my mom... <laughs> had her suspicions about us, though. And as I've shared earlier in the series, one night when we were all on the phone together, um, she told us to stop burning in lust and you know, consider getting married. And so we got off the phone that night and thought, maybe she's right. What are we waiting for? And Deanna said, well, all right, um, but you still need to propose. And since you already know what I'm going to say, it better be good. And so <laughs> no pressure, right? That part's true. Okay, good. We've got the seal of approval. <laughs> and so I, I uh, rented a billboard downtown Dallas, um, and uh, I, I, I invited Deanna out onto a date that night, and um, you know the stop engine button on a motorcycle that you can flip, and it'll kill the engine. I did that and faked like, a, like our motorcycle was having problems so we could stop at the right place downtown just a couple blocks away. And I told her, oh, we can, I guess we'll have to walk the rest of the way to go to the restaurant. And so we were walking and through the trees, she saw the billboard and it was a little bit muddy, but I got down on my knees and I asked her and it was great with all the people walking around and pointing at us like, that's the guy that rented the billboard. <laughs> you know, it was, so, it was so funny. And then we got done with that and, and her concern was like, um, yeah, but what about the reservation at the restaurant? <laughs> I was like, well, the motorcycle actually works. <laughs> so we walked back and had fun. So that was, that's our story. But, you know, by the time I popped the question, I'd like to think that I had matured, you know, at least a little bit. I'd seen some growth in my spiritual and emotional life. And we, we went to some premarital counseling at the school. And, I mean, I was so much in love. And, and I, I mean, it's hard to put into words, you know, how much you can love the experience of getting to know one person whom you love with all your heart. And, and I would say that, you know, we really talked our way through a lot of stuff. We worked through some tough stuff in those four years. We made it through some, you know, potential breakups and, and hiccups along the way. And I can remember sitting there 
there that night after we had made that decision to get married, and I finally kind of made it to the place where I was going to buy a ring and get married to the girl of my dreams, right? That I want her, and somehow she wants me. And it, it didn't seem real, but it was, and it was better than anything that I could have ever hoped for. Now, why mention that? I, I say all of that because I want you to know that I understand that dating can be difficult, and it can be a journey. Relationships are risky. And so, you know, one day if it all goes bad and you survive, it, can, it may make a funny story later. But if you start on a journey with somebody and three or four dates in, share more of your heart, and then you break up, it can really, really, really hurt. Dating and relationships are a risky thing. And so some of us look at it and you go, why would I do that? It's kind of like grabbing hands and skipping through a minefield. It just feels like it's going to go bad. Right? And so, but then you show up at a friend's wedding and you see love and blossom and you go, but I want that. And how do I go there? A very natural, normal human uh, process has really picked up a lot of complexity. So how do we journey from singleness through dating and into the gift that God's given us called marriage? And specifically, as we've been um, journeying together, we talked about how singleness is about devotion. God has ordained singleness to every single human being to secure an undistracted devotion to him. That's what we talked about week one, that we are single to get the first thing first, to get that right. The main thing is the main thing, that I know God. And then as I'm chasing him, I start to, pe- start to meet people that, hey, could be potential people that I grip hands and run in you know, with the rest of my life. And that's what dating is. It's evaluating the person. Are we meant to run together? And now, today, we're going to be talking about engagement. And engagement, there's so much we can say. You know, if, if dating is about evaluation, I would say engagement is about union. Um, the merging of two lives. It's the merging of our finances. It's the merging of our families. It's the merging of our futures. We will now, you know, be running together into the unknown. And there's, there's much that you could say about it. And it's a tender thing. It's like bringing a boat up next to a dock, right? There's a way that you can do it that is smooth and barely cause you know, a ripple in the water. And then there's a way to do it that comes crashing into the dock and sends wood and, and fiberglass and humans sprawling everywhere, right? And so how do we dock into each other's lives well? Here's, here's the thing. We could, we could make this a premarital class. We could talk about how to get engaged, and that's a great thing. But I want to back it up and talk about um, that very kind of dangerous and tenuous, confusing place of how do I know that I know that this person that I'm interested in is the one that I want to marry? Um, How do you go from evaluating to union? How do you know that you've met the one? That's where we're going today. And we're going to do it by looking at the book, as I said earlier, The Song of Solomon. I think it's one of the most beautiful books in the Bible. And I can remember, I don't know how many of you were, were back this far, back on Elk Street, when Pastor Brent spent a really long time in the book of Solomon. Um, and so today we're just going to grab sections, but man, it would be a good book to come back to and go deeper sometime. Um, because it doesn't just warn you about all the dangers of dating and lust, rather it shows you the beauty of, of what it looks like done right. And uh, so it's a beautiful book. And as you read this poetry that's either by or about King Solomon, as he talks about courting and marriage and love with his beloved Shulamite. Um, It's a book that extols the beauties of love 
unashamedly and almost embarrassingly celebrate sex. And so I want to back us up um, to early in the book. They, they kind of have some memories of what it was like when they first met and they fell in love on this journey to marriage. And I want to look at that and see what are some of the things that we should feel and see in a relationship that give us confidence that this is the right person. Make sense? Everybody on board? All right, here we go. <laughs> so here's the thing. How do, you, how do you know that you're ready to marry someone? An initial indicator is that you feel excitement on your notes, that you feel excitement. And, and that's where we are at the beginning of Song of Solomon. They, they feel legitimately excited. The very first words as a woman speaks, she says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. She sees the guy and she's like, I want our faces to mash. I want my face as close as possible to his. She's unashamedly infatuated, and remember, in the inspired word of God. It's in there. Is it wrong to be excited about somebody? No, it's not. That comes from God. She declares your love is better than wine. Where Wine in the Middle East, it was the drink of celebration. Um, it was the most delightful thing that you could put up to your lips. It would make you feel warm inside, right? And she said, that's how he makes me feel when I'm around him. He's delightful, and I'm warm, and maybe I'm a little tipsy. Think that's how I feel, right? And so which brings a natural question, guys. What has he done to get her so dialed up? Right? Some of you are reading that and you're like, yeah, I need to know what makes her feel this way. And she says in the next verse, your anointing oils are fragrant. Now that could mean that his cologne game was strong. He's got a good covering, you know, with the Axe body spray. You know, because men back then in the Middle East, it was very hot. and People got um, sweaty and there weren't a lot of showers. And so men would wear these aromatic oils. And maybe she's just saying that you smell fantastic. And that's probably true, guys. That's probably a good thing to write down and take a note of. But as you keep on reading, something deeper is going on. And she says, your name is like oil poured out. And that's such a brilliant line of poetry because scent is our sense that is most tied to memory. And so when you smell something, you instinctively react. If, if it smells wonderful, what happens? You kind of lean in and you breathe it in, right? And if it smells horrible, you recall. You might even crimp up your nose to try to protect your nostrils, right? So you do that with a nice smell or a bad smell. You also do it when you remember somebody's name. If I, if I say a name like Hitler, it brings to mind his character, his reputation, the accumulative effect of his decisions, right? You respond by just hearing his name. Your name is like oil poured out, is what the scripture says. And so when you hear that name, maybe you recoil. Or if I say a name like Brent and Tana Parker, our founding pastors, you know, you go, all right, I respond positively to that, you know, because you think of their character, the kind of people that they are. Your name is your reputation. And so your name is your character and their, their name is their character. And so when, when your name is spoken, it calls thoughts to people's minds and they respond. So the question is, of course, how do they respond when they hear your name? How do they respond when they hear your name? Do you think, uh, do they think of a trustworthy person? You know, do, a reliable one, a caring one. She says, your name is like oil poured out. When people hear your name, they go, hmm, that's a good man. That's a man of integrity. That man cares about people. That man has integrity. He has character. He says what he means and he does what he says. That guy is right. He is good. His name is like oil poured out. Do they do that with you? 
And so Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And, and favor is better than silver or gold. So marry character. Let character be what turns you on because looks fade. And ladies, guys, their ears will continue to grow and so will their ear hair and their rears are going to shrivel up. <laughs> looks will fade. But is he a good listener? You know, is, is he kind to you when you're having a difficult day? Let me tell you something. When, when you put on that ring, that will not change his character. Watch him. See what he's like with other people, right? That's the evaluation. Is his name like oil poured out? Does he have a wonderful reputation? Let that be what excites you. But what's great is, is it's not character alone that excites her. There's something else. And you see it in the next chapter as the man um, gets excited. And the Shulamite declares this. He says, the voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold. There he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. How do you know this is someone that you should marry? There's excitement. She's excited. The staccato presentations of statements kind of lets you know that she's excited. She's like, behold, he comes. He's like a gazelle. He's swift. He's like a stag. He radiates masculinity, right? And he's excited, too. He's not walking towards her house. He's leaping. He's bounding. He's not like whatever, honking the horn, you know, in the driveway. He's, he's overcoming obstacles, leaping over mountains. Nothing will keep me from my beloved, right? He's peering through the lattice, even for a glimpse of his beloved. He's excited. Why is he so excited? He says in verse 10, arise, my love, my beautiful one. Is he excited that she's physically attractive? Yes. He, he calls her my beautiful one. That matters. But nine times in this very short book, he calls her my love. The, 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 that word there, my love, or that phrase in Hebrew is the word raya. And it's translated neighbor, companion, and friend. The reason why he's so excited about seeing her is not just that she has character, but there's kindness. They're friends. And, and so she responds to him, and she calls him beloved all through the book, and it's the Hebrew word dod. It's someone that I cherish. Um, what's happening is that they enjoy being around each other. I like being near you, I trust you, and you're kind to me. Um, that's what excites them, character, and, uh, and on your notes, kindness. Look for kindness. Look for kindness. You, you need to see that in a relationship. Do you like being around each other? It seems like such a no-brainer, and yet I talk to couples that are talking about marriage just because they've been dating for so long and they figure it might as well, but they're not happy. So why would you stack till death do us part on that? I mean, you, you need to watch and say, do I like being around this person? Do I enjoy their company? Do I miss them when they're gone? Or is it a relief? Right? When, when we go to dinner together, am I constantly checking my phone or where the exits are? Or, or does time just seem to fly by? You need to enjoy being around them. What this couple feels is excitement. But it's not just about enjoying their company. It's also about being improved by their company. And that's the next point. You should see life. Listen to what the beloved says. 
My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. Come away. So what time of year is he describing? Springtime. It's the time of life that is springing up, right? That when I'm around you, I'm not just excited uh, by you physically. Being around you is this explosion of life. It's this explosion that us being together, we don't just enjoy it, but it's improving us. And so that when you see a couple come together, you need to see not just that they like hanging out, but are they better people as a result of that union? Are you a better person? Are you a better person? It's interesting. I remember there was a song back when I was a kid by Tiffany. And it was supposed to be, you know, this romantic song, apparently. And she would sing, we're running just as fast as we can, holding on to one another's hand, trying to get away into the night. Uh, Then what? <laughs> I love it. I just trying to get you to sing. That's how I did that. Um, into the night, and then you put your arms around me, and we tumble to the ground, and then you say, "I think we're alone now, right?" <laughs> and I remember listening to that song, and I'm like, "So you're both running, and he tackles you, and you hit the ground, right?" And I get that you're trying to be romantic, but that's so odd. And and but let me tell you something. I see that in relationships, that I'll meet a young man who's pursuing the things of God and learning and growing in these things, and I'll meet a young girl that wants to please the Lord and be like him in in the world, and they'll meet each other, and as soon as they meet each other, they get infatuated, and they get wrapped up in each other, and it's like they hit the ground. And, and, and their pursuit of God, it seems like, sometimes will derail. And, and suddenly you see them not showing up at church as much anymore. And you see them not showing up to small groups. And you see a, maybe a guilt and a shame over some of the violations and compromise that they've had of their character. And it begins to steal their joy. And you see stress enter in because their communication is poor. And you watch kind of the lights go out in their eyes that, that one plus one doesn't equal one, as it says in in Genesis is supposed to happen, but it almost equals zero in this instance. In other words, this isn't an improvement, being around this other person. So you, you watch for that. Am I better as a result of being around them? Are they challenging me spiritually? Do I watch their growth with God and say, I want that too? Do I watch you know, their character and say, I want to match that too? Do I watch their zeal for life and say, I, don't want, I want to match that stride for stride? Are they making me a better person? You want to see that. And so for some of us, this may be a timing issue. If all your dating life is terrible and you know it wasn't the girl's fault, maybe you come to the realization, you know, after a while, if all these relationships are a dumpster fire, maybe the problem is me. <laughs> Here's the thing, it's on your notes. You can't build a we if you don't have me figured out. That's what singleness is all about, right? An undistracted devotion to God and, and to his calling on your life. Our youth group is actually having this conversation in, this, in their series that they're doing right now. And I love that. And so you, you might need to, to go to work on yourself and go, you know what? The right person at the wrong time is the wrong person. Right? And so if you're not ready, you're not ready. 
communication will be confusing. You'll be trying to force things before you have some things figured out. So if when you grip hands and run together, the we gets worse and not better, that's a warning sign. That's a warning sign. And the reality is if you're going to run with someone together forever, you want to see them improving you as a person too. That you're challenged by the way that they pursue the Lord. That the relationship enhances you as a person. And so I promise you, I am a better person as a result of being around Deanna. I had some good qualities, I think, before I met her, but I also had some serious weaknesses. And, and she's taught me so much about um, racism and prejudice. Um, you know, I grew up as a, as a white boy in the Midwest, and I didn't have a lot of experience with that. Something that, you know, I, you know, I, didn't, I just did not have that experience growing up. And so she's taught me many, many, many times how to love outside of my comfort zone and, and um, in, in every experience and every expression of that. And I'm still working on that, but I'm a better person as a result of being around her. Are you a better person as a result of being with that person? And so... Now, what are some things that you see about uh, the relationship? The first one that I think to let you know that this is the right person to marry, what you should see in the relationship is a strong internal sense of commitment. Commitment. Do I see in myself and in this other person a resolve to work through conflict, even when it's hard? You know, do we want to stay? Later in the book of Solomon, um, chapter 8, the beloved says, we sang it this morning. Maybe you've, maybe you've sung the, the, the words to this song uh, many, many times you know, over the years. This is a song that's been around a while. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. For love is as strong as death. And jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. So a seal, what does it do? What does a seal do? It, it, it seals something in, right? It protects something. And, and what, how is love like death? Did anybody answer that question this morning? <laughs> I'm a little afraid. How is love like death? When death grabs a hold of someone, it does not let go, right? It does not let go. It stays. And she says love is like that. Love, when it grabs someone, it commits. As strong as death. It's a seal upon my heart. It's a commitment that when it's, it's, a, it's a seal. And so how do, how, do you, how do you know that you really love someone? You say, I find that I, that I want to stay in sickness and in health and for better or for worse. I, I discovered a resolve to stay even when it's hard. And, and what I'm saying is not that you would just grin and bear it. That's not what I'm saying. I imagine that many of you have a great resolve in your hearts, and you could be like, well, I, I will marry this person, right? And, and, and you know you don't have to do that, right? I'm not saying do you have the resolve to do it. I'm saying when y'all disagree, when a character flaw comes up that you realize isn't going to change, are you suddenly checking the locks on the door and wanting to get out? Are you checking the exits? Or are you saying, no, I've got to, I'm going to work through this. I'm committed to this. What's not helpful in this conversation is when you ask the question, and when we ask the question, how do you know that you know, and somebody tells you, well, you just know. 
<laughs> well, that's really helpful. Thank you very much, right? That's really great. It's also colossally unhelpful, right? But if you press into the question a little more, you might hear someone explain a bit deeper, well, I know that I know because there's an ease to it. But what does that mean? Does that mean that you never argue? No. In fact, if you've got a good relationship, you probably have almost definitely argued, right? So, so what is the difference between other relationships? It's if you hit friction, and when you hit friction, maybe some personality trait that's, that's graded on you or some big disagreement uh, about a direction in life, when you hit those and you have a feeling of, like, we're kind of forcing this, and I don't know that I want to fight for this, if you'll, you'll feel that, but if you know that this is the one, whenever you have conflict, you realize, hey, I want to work through this. I want to work through this. I, I want to get to the other side of this, and I want to do it together. And I, I, I want to work through conflict to deeper unity together. Whatever this obstacle is, let's get over it, right? And so then you see in her that same resolve, and if you, do, if you see that, that's golden. If it, it doesn't work if only one person has that resolve and the other person doesn't. But if internally you both want to make it work good, then you're not just fighting for victory in an argument. You're fighting for us in an argument. Does that make sense? You're fighting for you, you the, the us, so that, you, that, that you can repent and move through conflict into deeper unity. You'll see that resolve in both of you. You'll see a love that overcomes trials and can withstand temptations. That's the kind of love that you need. That's how they pick Navy SEALs, by the way. Navy SEALs, when you want to go in, you'll go through something that they call BUDS, which stands for Basic Underwater Demolition. And it's a grueling process where they weed out who's going to be a SEAL and who's not. And as they go in to try to be SEALs, 100% of them are tested and physically their bodies can handle the demands of the BUDS, 100%. Physically, they can do it. At the beginning, they can do it. And yet, there's a 75% dropout rate. Why? Because they get these guys and the ladies in there and they dump them in ice cold water again and again and again. And then they throw them in the icy ocean. They pull them out and they make them roll around in the sand. And they get crusty from head to toe. And then they'll have them run down the beach and run back and then dive back in the icy water. And then they make them do that, the whole thing again and again and again. And while they're doing that, what are they testing? Endurance resolve, right? Resolve. I am committed to this. Some guys go, you know, I really like the idea of being a seal, but cold water is lame. <laughs> and if they, they keep on throwing, and this involves a lot of cold water, and they come to that realization, and I don't like sand in my shorts, and this experience has a lot of sand in my shorts. And so maybe I like the idea of being tough, but I don't really like what they're requiring of me, and so I'm out. 75% dropout rate. And meanwhile, while they're going through that process, constantly instructors are offering them, here's a blanket, here's a towel, here's a Snickers bar. If you'll take it, all you have to do is ring that bell, and you're free to go home. And so they'll do that, and they constantly put in front of them these trials and temptations, pressure to make them go. And 
<laughs> make them to go, you know, I don't want this. I don't, I, I, it's not worth it. And then the allurements to say, I would rather go home. And some guys ring the bell and say, I don't want it. And others say, you know what? Bring it because I'm not going to shy away. Love that is stronger than death. And jealousy fiercer than the grave. That's how it works. That's how it works. And love is the same way. Song of Solomon says it this way. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. Isn't that good? How do you know real love? It withstands temptations and it withstands trials. When we have difficulty or trials, we will overcome them. When we disagree, we work through it. When we come to major issues, we talk about it and we resolve it, that we will stay together through this. And then it says, if a man is offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. In other words, no trial will overcome it. No temptation will seduce it. So when you're dating someone, that's why you evaluate. Just watch them. When you all begin to disagree, do they suddenly stop calling? Stop texting. That's useful information. Maybe he's not the guy. Let an old girlfriend come back to town and watch and see what happens. If your significant other starts working something on the side, that's good information in the evaluation, right? You know, this isn't the person that I want to link up with forever. How do you know true love? No trial can shake it. No temptation can lure you. That's how you know that you sense within yourself and the other person a resolve to commit even when it's hard. And when you get married, you will stand on a stage in front of God and everyone and declare, I promise to love you in sickness and in health. And until death do us part in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, you will take the name of the Trinity. And let me tell you something. You don't want to make a statement like that and hope that it's true. You don't want to do. Bless you, brother. (laughs) And happy birthday to Royce, by the way. You don't want to hope that it's true. You want those words to be the exact reflection of what you already know is in your heart. You want to look them in the face and mean it under God. So you need to see within yourself while you're dating a commitment and a resolve to stay even when it's hard. But you don't just need a resolve to commit. You need a growing skill of communication. That's the next thing. You need the skill of communication. You need to know how to talk. You need to know, this is hard for us, guys. It tends to be a a harder thing for us. You need to know how to resolve when things are hard. You can be infatuated with one another, but if you disagree, if one of you yells, if one of you uses harsh words, Proverbs says that's like thrusts of a sword. And that's a dangerous person to live with. Or if you have, you know, someone that closes you out and you're constantly having to guess, why, why is she mad? What's going on? That's not healthy. You, you need someone that says, hey, I've resolved for commitment and for unity, and we're going to grow skills of how to talk to each other and work things out. It's interesting. You watch this, um, uh, this, you, you watch this couple disagree in this book, and you'll see later in their marriage that he comes to her and he's calling her out. You know, like he does, my darling, my, 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 my love, my beautiful one. And he shows up, <coughs> he shows up, excuse me, late at night. And she says, basically, I'm not in the mood. I've got a headache. That's basically what she says. Okay. I'm tired. And so he leaves the room. And you see her get confused and concerned that maybe he's mad. 
And so she goes to the door, and then in the beautiful poetry of the book, she says, My beloved put his hand to the latch, and my heart was thrilled within me. I arose to open to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, my fingers with liquid myrrh on the handles of the bolt. Now, when she refused him and rebuffed him, he did not come back in anger, but he left blessing behind, one of the most expensive perfumes and fragrances that you could get, he left for her even in the midst of disagreement. There's a sweetness and a kindness with him towards her that they have a way to communicate that moves them towards unity. Do you see that? That moves them towards unity, not away from it. Rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. You want someone that the way that they use their mouth is a tree of life. And I would just say, when you disagree with someone, and this works everywhere in life, by the way, you, you want to focus on their actions and how you feel. The only two things you can really know is their actions and how you feel. You don't know their motives. So don't do that. And that's what so many of us do. You're trying to make me look stupid. You know, you're trying to make me look bad. You're trying to embarrass me, right? And what you're doing is you're ascribing motive to that person. You don't know that. What you need to focus on is, is hey, when you did that, it made me feel this way. That's the kind of language that you want to use. When you made fun of me, you know, in front of them, it made me feel like you will ditch me for the approval of the crowd. And and that makes me not want to trust you. And I don't like that. So you need to be able to say, when you did that, this is how I feel. You need to figure out how to communicate clearly. And in dating, you don't really know each other very well. But as you progress through dating and you get closer, you will hit these moments where you realize, oh, well, we disagree. (laughs) We disagree. And if we don't have the skill of communication, then we won't make it. I remember for Deanna and I, when we got to that moment where it was time to meet the families, and I remember hearing all about her Uncle Danny. Um, Before I ever met him, I had this healthy fear of Uncle Danny um, because it was told to me that he would pound me into the ground if I even looked at her the wrong way. Right? And so, now this was the type of love that I was unfamiliar with at the time. My parents were pretty low-key, like the nicest people that you ever meet, kind of quiet, but easy to hang out with and get to know. And I remember, you know, the knot in my stomach the first time that we went to go over and meet Uncle Danny and the family. Man, I had to present, right? And so I got interviewed Grilled was, was, was probably the better word, and I began to understand how the Prue family functioned. Every gathering, you know, would include food, and, it would, and, and it, would, it would follow up with a sport or activity, whether it be watching it on the screen or playing street football or a fast-pitched, you know, game of lightning um, in the driveway. And that's not really my thing. And so I, I'm pretty sure I hurt some feelings. I, I hurt Deanna's feelings a few times, and my feelings probably got hurt a time or two trying to figure out the differences between our families, right? Have any of you ever been there? Any, you know, so, so, you know, the question, like, why isn't Sean playing street football? Does he not like us? And Deanna would say, no, he just doesn't want to get hurt, right? <laughs> and so you've got to figure out each other's normals and the, their expectations and their comfort levels in different situations. You know, maybe she likes to go and sing karaoke, you know, at the pub. And for you, that's like your worst nightmare, 
So you've got to talk about those things and figure it out instead of immediately going, hey, what's your problem? This is my family and you're not doing our thing. You know, if, if, if we're going to be together forever and if you're going to be my spouse, how can I be knit together with you? And guess what? As you are working through that kind of stuff, it can be difficult. And, and, and if I immediately just focus on motive, you know, you hate my family, you don't like them, you don't care about my people, the relationship would break. But rather, you know, I could say, you know, when you go and play football with your family, I feel like you're abandoning me. You know, I could say something like that. And she could respond, no, that's just what we do. That's how we love spending time. And I'm like, oh, well, that's new, but I understand now. And then we can move forward, right? And she says, you know, you can play too if you want, you know. It's, it's, but it's not a moral issue, right or wrong. It's just something that's different between us. But if we had bad communication, that doesn't help our situation. You see that? So some of you, you, you have someone that you're infatuated with and you haven't figured out the skill of communication and you are thrusting swords at one another with your words. Your relationship will not flourish that way. Uh, or maybe you freeze each other out. You know, give the silence treatment, which is another really unhealthy way of dealing with one another. You can't do that. We have to speak in a way that gives life. The next thing that I would say is you need to survive a moment of confession. You need to survive a moment of confession. There, there's an interesting moment in the courtship of this couple in chapter 2. And what you see is an initial excitement. They're getting to know each other. They've become friends and as they get closer, we get to this moment where he says something very particular to her. He says, oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Where does he place her? He presents her as way up and far away in the crannies of the rock. And he pictured her as a dove, a beautiful but tender and fragile creature, right? So what does he do? I will scale up and grab my dove. No, that's not what he does. <laughs> what does he do? He calls to her and he invites her, show me more of you. Come towards me. His way of leaning towards her is with his words and he invites and he initiates, and he compliments, and he shares his heart. I want to be with you, and I want to be near you. And then she responds, and he's asking her to show more of herself. And that's a delicate thing. And that's really what dating into engagement becomes. Intimacy requires vulnerability. It requires vulnerability. To really be known means I really need to share myself, not just the best parts, that you put forward on date one, right? When you put forward on date one, you're, you're putting forth your best. I'm a go-getter, I never stop, and I love adventure, and I love travel, you know. Okay, after all that's done, let me really get to know what makes you tick, right? And so, as I get more vulnerable, there's a propensity then for more intimacy and a propensity for more damage as well. It's a dangerous place. And so what I tell people is if you don't feel like you're financially or emotionally ready to get married in the next six months, don't go calling doves out of the rock and trying to grab her emotionally. 
that's a dangerous and a cruel thing to do to people. Men can really harm women. We know that much of, of, uh, of the damage physically done to, to women in our countries is by men. Men can be dangerous with their strength or they can be loving with it. They can be tender with it. There's a sensitivity to women. Peter will call the female, as you've heard in scripture, the, the, the weaker vessel. And by that, he doesn't mean that ladies can't handle pressure. He's talking about likening you to porcelain. It doesn't mean that women are any less valuable or lesser than men. It actually communicates your higher value. I don't use my iPad to dig a trench, right? Even though I could. Because it, there's more purpose to it. It has more value to just use it for that. And Peter says a woman is valuable and a precious thing to be tender with. So use your strength with her, but be gentle as you do it. And as you're getting to know someone, you decide, am I ready to begin to interact with her emotionally? If you are, then go ahead and call out the dove. And as you do that, you are going to risk vulnerability. And I would say, in that risk, you have to share about your life, who you are. And I think there's a moment, and I don't think it's a drawn out over months and weeks and years, but maybe one big conversation, maybe a couple, where you say, hey, before we progress to this next level, I need to tell you, about me, or maybe about who I used to be. And you need to share your story and the depths of who you are, because here's the thing. She can take an imperfect man, but she can't take a liar. She needs to know you. And I know some of us hear this, men and women, and think my past is my business, that's my story, they don't need to know that. But let me tell you something. Why, why, why do you wanna get married? It's because you wanna be fully known. To be fully known. I want, you, you want someone that knows you down to the depths and loves you fully anyway. That's a beautiful thing. She says later in the book, I am my beloved's and he is mine. She says, I am his, he owns me, and he is mine. We are knit together in the tightest of ways, right? You don't want to constantly have to redact stories about your past with the person that's closest to you. They need to know all of you. Now, let me just say, don't do this on the first date and don't do it on the subsequent dates. But as you are approaching engagement, you need to say, hey, there's some things that you need to know about me that I'm not real proud of, maybe. And, you know, some of you go, why would I do that? Well, it signals that you trust the other person. I can trust you with these things about my heart and about my past and about who I am. And it creates the potential for powerful healing. Proverbs 28 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Some of you ladies, a guy will get close to you and he will tell you about abuse that he suffered as a boy that he never shared with anybody else. Uh, some of you guys, she'll tell you the same thing. Tragic, horrible things done to her. And listen, we've all done things that were wrong that hurt people. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. No one is pure in this place, and we should present these things to that person. Why would we do that? We, we do it because it signals that we trust them. I can trust you with the delicate things that are in my heart, and we do it because it has the potential for powerful healing. Again, Proverbs 28, whoever conceals transgression will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes finds mercy. That if you can say to someone, these are the things that I did in my past, I'm not proud of them, but God has changed me and I've walked away from them. 
if that person can hear all of that and say, you know, that, well, that saddens me, it pains me, but I forgive you and I love you and I want you, that empathy dissolves so much shame. It dissolves it. And to confess and forsake and find mercy is what we all want, that this person knows all of me and still wants me. I am my beloved's and he's mine. That's the other benefit. It creates bonding. When you realize that this person knows all of me and can handle that like a treasure, you will hold them close. And ladies, if you confess the deepest things in your heart and that guy can't deal with it, praise God that you figured that out before you got married. Right? Because if he won't forgive you for what you did to somebody else, how is he going to forgive you for what you do to him? (laughs) And guys... It's the same way. If she can't forgive you for your past, let her go because you want someone who's like Jesus, right? What, what was Jesus like? He saw us at our worst. When we're enemies, Scripture says, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, he came running to us. He knows every dark, broken, and sad thing about you, and he is running towards you. He loves you, and he was constantly moving towards a sinner, so much so that the religious people were like, what are you doing? Why are you hanging out at their parties? Why are you hanging out in their clubs? Why are you doing these things? And he said, because I came for the sick. I don't see their sickness. I came to heal them. He said, I want to love you even at your worst and bring you out of that. I want to bring healing. I want to forgive you and cleanse you. But what does it say he did to his bride? Ephesians chapter 5. It says that he washes her with the word so that she will be without blemish and without spot. Doug, you can come up. He's going to love us. He's going to love us. And his love makes us more beautiful. That's why we sing. If you wonder, why do we sing? Why do Christians sing? It's not because we've got to do something at the top to get us in the mood to hear a guy talk. (laughs) That's not it. You sing to celebrate. What are we celebrating? A God who forgives. A God who knows everything about us and loves us still. A God who gave everything before we gave him anything back. A God who loves us. That was, that's what Jesus did on the cross. It was a declaration of love. I'm giving all of myself for all of you. And when someone does that, you want to give all of yourself back. And what we will bring him is dirty and broken and sad, but he will make beauty out of broken things. That's the God that we serve. He wants someone who love you, who will love you like that, that will see you and say, I'm going to forgive, not just as Christ uh, loved us, but he will forgive as Christ forgave us. And when you survive that moment, you will say, my beloved is mine and I am his. And then when you confess deeply, then it becomes a matter of how fast can we get engaged and get that ring, right? Because the closer you feel emotionally, the closer you want to get those bodies, right? Right back, going right back to the beginning of the, I want to get my face next to his face. And that's why it goes on to say, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards for our vineyards are in blossom. The vineyard is often presented as her body or as their love. Either way, they say this, they say as our love is beginning to grow and they call out to the community that they're in, they say, protect us, 
protect us from the things that we do, protect us from going too fast physically while we're still in this evaluation process, protect us from not communicating well so that when we hurt each other, you'll help us to actually help each other through that process. They call for the community and that's the last thing. We've already talked about this in the series, but you want the approval and the voice of the community. You want people around you to help you and to say that this is right. You want people to surround you that will promote this unity and affirm it, that this is a good thing. You want people around you that will extol it. You want them around to help you evaluate. We talked about that last week, that in the Song of Solomon, only four people speak. There's God, there's the beloved, the lover, and her friends, because there's that principle there. If you want to be her lover, you got to get with her friends, right? because she knows and they know she's infatuated. But they say, rightly do you love him. Rightly do you love him. They help her evaluate and they help you catch the foxes. I know for Deanna and I, as we're getting to know each other, I was attracted to her physically. So we had to figure that out. If we wanted to do a movie night, it would not be a good thing for us to go and find some place to do it alone because then things will happen. So I can remember many, many times where we went, we rented movies from Blockbuster. Kids, you can ask your parents about that later. And, and we'd go to someone's house and we'd watch it together. There was a safety in that as we were evaluating each other in the dating process. And you know, Deanna and I, Deanna also had Uncle Danny. And so who'd look, you know, look at me sideways if I ever misstepped. There's a safety and wisdom in having those kind of people in your life. Uncle Danny would never, ever let me fool around with her body and play with her heart and not really love her, <laughs> right? He loves Deanna, so when I would come around, he would remind me, you know, you, have you been good to her? Are you taking care of her? And I was like, yes, sir, yes, yes, sir, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, sir, <laughs> right? And then he would put me back down on the floor. <laughs> And then he'd ask her, has he been good to you? And then we'd be good. But be in a community that surrounds you and makes you better. They can make you something that you can never attain on your own. Let's stand. So you want to feel that attraction and that excitement. You want to see that. But is it life-giving? Is it making us love God more? You want to see that resolve that I want to work through the conflict. And you want to see the skill of communication and figure out how to do that. You want to survive confession. Um, you're knowing more of me and I can trust you with my heart. And then you want the community to say, rightly, do you love them? And when you know all of that, I remember for me, it was the most incredible moment. The moment of, you know, Sean, are you really ready to cash out on singleness? Do you really trust this girl? And it was an amazing thing to evaluate that and find in me, you know, in the depths of me that yes, she loves me and I love her and I choose her and I'm going to love her till death do us part. And I'm going to love her like Christ loves the church because I know that she loves me the way Jesus loves me that she forgives me of all the stuff that I've done and all the wrong that I've done, even towards her. She loves me even when my brokenness is out there and it becomes painfully and embarrassingly apparent, like Jesus loves you today. And so let's get that relationship right first, where you know what it is to be forgiven and loved and cherished by your maker. Let him change you 
to make you a well of living water. And then let's speak to one another with kindness and help each other pair off in this beautiful dance of courtship that God's created. We can be a community of healthy marriages and families and relationships. Let's love each other well. Amen. Amen. Father God, we thank you for your word to us today. God, thank you for the beauty that you've created um, in us. Lord, whether it be in singleness or in relationship, God, there's a beauty in all of it. God, I help, I, I just ask that you'd help us to um, walk in wisdom. Lord, as, as we pursue each other and as we pursue you. God, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for the way that you love us first. God, thank you for the way that you show us how to love. Your pursuit of us is just amazing. You won't relent. Love as strong as death. Committed. That you gave your life for us. God, help us to love like that. Thank you, Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've not made a, a asked Jesus into your heart, we want to invite you into that relationship this morning. So with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed. This is a personal moment between you and God. I just want to invite you um, to say yes to Jesus. He loves you with that kind of love. A love that is relentless, a love that is as strong as death, a love that is sealed upon your heart. He's faithful yesterday, today, and forever, Scripture says. And he's come to be a rescue for you if you're in a place of brokenness, of hurting, in a place of, of, of sin and, and hurt and all of that, he can come in and be a strength and a rescue in your life today. So whether, if you're saying that for the first time this morning or if it's a re-surrender this morning with nobody looking around, just raise your hand up high in the air. I wanna pray with you this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray this prayer together. Father God, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your body broken and bruised for me. A love as strong as death. God, I surrender my life fully to yours. All that I am is yours. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen.